Well, good morning. How's everyone? What a great reminder from Dane and the worship team. The Lamb has overcome that Jesus truly is this morning at this time alive. Uh, I love to remind my church that when we gather on Sunday mornings, it's not a memorial service for someone who lived a long time ago and died and kind of inspires us and, and maybe had some good teachings, but that in fact, right now, Jesus is alive and death has been defeated, and he's alive as he ever was alive as a first century Jew, and we come this morning to worship him and to hear from him and to take our directions from him. You might not be familiar with me. I have a lot of friends here. Uh, my name is Mike, and it is a privilege to be here and to be able to bring a message this morning. I consider myself somewhat of an honorary member of the Harvest um, from friends that I have here, and I'm excited to meet some new friends this morning. Uh, and because I love the harvest so much and think y'all are doing such great kingdom work in our community, I wanted to be sure to bring a message that I was very, very passionate about and that I thought would, would really be beneficial to you and to really all Christian communities, believers gathered together to worship and follow Christ together. And so my sermon title this morning is called A Texan Approach to Christian Community. And you might find two parts of that title, okay? Christian community. As a pastor, I've learned more and more and more over the last few years how important it is to have and belong to a Christian community. And at the same time, I've learned since birth that Texas is awesome. <laughs> Everything's better in Texas, particularly the Texas and the Maggies. Or, 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 theologically speaking, the team that God loves. Um, I've trademarked that. I'm working on shirts, okay? Um, one of the things, though, that really fascinates me about Texas is our world-renowned accents and vocabulary. Uh, I was recently invited to Utah for a gathering of 10 or 12 pastors to pray about and brainstorm the future of the church and how we might best equip the generation that's starting to come of age. And while I was there, there were pastors from all over the nation. I was the only pastor from Texas, and I was not expecting to be made fun of as much as I was. I don't consider myself a cowboy by any means. I can't ride a horse, okay? Um... I don't think I have a Texas, a strong Texas accent. I don't draw out my words, things like that. But these men and women had literally never heard a human being use the word howdy. <laughs> now, if I'm talking to a group of people, I say good morning. It's polite. If I'm talking to a friend, I usually say, what's up, yo? I'm cool and I'm hip. But if I'm talking to a stranger or someone I don't know walking past on the street, I usually just give them a quick howdy and keep on walking. I learned that at College Station. I grew up there every weekend um, watching the Aggies. And, and, and for them, it was really like a joke that there was an actual human person who used the word howdy. They thought it was a relic of the past from like howdy doody. And I was, I was surprised by that. But I do think that certain ways that Texans talk actually give us a very distinct advantage when it comes to reading the Bible and when it comes to being able to understand what the Bible says about the identity and the importance of Christian community. And so this morning, that's what I'd like to explore with you. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read two verses 
uh, verse 16 and 17. A very powerful passage this morning. If you're a type A personality, I've got one lesson and then two applications this morning. And so let's read the text and then we'll get into the lesson and the applications. The text reads like this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church, a community in Corinth. And it says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Now, my lesson this morning has to do with grammar and the Bible. So we've got to do a quick grammar lesson, okay, fitting for back to school. I know when I mention grammar, we have two types of people in the room, the type that are like, yes, grammar, I love that. First, calm down, okay? No one likes that. And then we've got the type of people who are like, great, I came to church to listen to this kid talk about grammar, To you, I'm going to try to make this painless, okay, as quick and painless as possible. Um, We have a thing in the English language, uh, I don't mean to patronize you, but called personal pronouns, okay, Um, words we use so that we don't have to use the name or title of someone or something. So you might say later today, instead of saying Mike is devastatingly bad at preaching, You might say he was devastatingly bad at preaching, that he would be your personal pronoun. So we've got he, she, it, you. Now, the English language does not have a unique form for you plural. So if I wanted to speak to you as an individual, I would say you. And if I wanted to speak to you as a group, I would also say you. The English language doesn't have this capability. Most Ancient languages, and many languages still today across the world, actually have a unique form for the personal pronoun of you, plural. Now, this is one of the reasons I love being in Texas, because we have solved this problem (laughs) with the word, let's say it together, y'all. There's nothing more beautiful than that sound. It's a great word, one of my favorites. Y'all, and, and in fact, different regions of the nation have come up with their own less impressive versions. Use, use guises, those sort of things. But we've got y'all. Now here's what you need to notice about this passage in 1 Corinthians. If you were able to read in the original Greek, what you'd find is the you in this passage is not a you individual. Paul is not saying that you as a person are God's temple. And that you as a person are where God's spirit dwells. It's you, plural. So if we were to read the Bible like a Texan, we might read the verse like this. Don't y'all know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in y'all? In fact, this is so much of a um, fact throughout the scriptures that Over, uh, or at least up to 5,000 times in the Bible, the English translation uses the word you when it's really you plural in the Greek or in the Hebrew. This has an important effect of making some of the promises God makes to us, um, to us seem like individual promises. When in fact, they're promises to a community of believers. Now, how might that work? How might God promise things to a community of believers? Well, he makes promises, just like the one we just read, to people who live together, to people who 
pray together and worship together and study the scriptures together and laugh together and cry together. And here in this passage, Paul's making some remarkable claims about a Christian community. Now, we live in a world that is full of a worldview of hyper-individualism. The American dream, right? I'll do it myself. I'll pull myself up from my bootstraps. And this has largely infiltrated the way we see our faith. My faith is private, okay? It's between me and God. And I don't want the church telling me what to do or to believe. I don't want other people giving me their opinions, okay? I'll figure it out by myself. Unfortunately, though, that's just not seemingly what God had planned for our faith. God seems to have planned for our faith to flourish in and among a community. According to the Bible, your faith is personal. And you must have a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is not private. It's meant to be lived out and to develop and grow in the midst of community. We usually read this passage backwards. We think that God has lots of temples running throughout the world. And God's Spirit dwells in us individually. Now, this is a truth that you'll find in other parts of the New Testament, that in one sense the Spirit does dwell in you individually. But here, in this passage, Paul's saying it's in a community. It's when people pray and worship and read the Bible together. That's where God's temple is found. And that's where His Spirit dwells. So, we read the Bible like a text, and I think we're benefited. Don't y'all know that y'all are the temple of God? Don't y'all know that the Spirit of God dwells in y'all. That's today's lesson, quick grammar lesson. And here's, I think, the two powerful implications we can draw from that. The first one is, how spectacular is the church's identity according to this passage? Basically, what Paul's saying here is, if you want to encounter God, if you want to experience His presence and His transformative power to change lives then you need to do so in the context of a community. We have some biblical terms thrown out in this verse. God's temple. Temple was the place where the Israelites believed that God dwelt on earth. And if you wanted to go be near to God, to experience His presence, and if you wanted to go be transformed by God, you would go to the temple. Now when Jesus comes, God in the flesh, Jesus in a sense replaces the temple structure. John 1.14 tells us Jesus is where God dwells among us. It's temple language. Now instead of going to the temple in the first century, people, if they wanted to experience God, would go to Jesus. And he would forgive their sins. He would heal their sicknesses. He would cast out the demons that enslave them. He was the place where God had chosen to dwell among men. But now that he has been crucified and resurrected and now sits at the Father's right hand, where again we remind ourselves he's still alive, apparently this temple has now transferred into the community of believers. Local churches that gather all over the world that form this global church. This, Paul says, is where God dwells. This is where you can experience his power and his presence. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, surely this can't be right. Because the church is a mess. Because I'm looking around the room, and I see lots of people I just don't like. I'm sure that I would probably experience the presence of Satan more than the presence of God if I spent more than ten minutes with them. Now, I'm going to assume at the harvest there are no problems at all. 
There's never any drama. There's never any disagreements. Carrie, Jeff, they have blank checks, okay? No one ever questions their decisions. Um, but I know from speaking to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all over the nation that there is an epidemic of people who have been hurt by the church. And when I say hurt by the church, I don't just mean like they were sad about it. Like spiritual abuse type hurt. Like completely turned off to the church. Or they've tried a small group or tried joining a community and they found that they just didn't fit. It didn't work for them. It didn't work for their lifestyles. Or they have tried different churches and they've never found that church. They felt like they belonged and they felt like they could really plug in and grow in their faith. It's hard to imagine that a church or a community is where God really dwells when our communities are so flawed and have so many warts and, and so many ugly things about them. But it's interesting because Paul saying the statement to a church that's actually much worse than probably any church you've ever visited. Um, he's writing to a church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, if you were to read through the entire letter, is what I like to call the church gone wild. Okay, it's, it's, it's much worse than probably what you've experienced. In Corinth, they have factions. They have groups that are fighting against each other. They've taken up teams, and they, each team thinks they're wiser and smarter and more spiritual than the other team. And so at Harvest, you might have Team Carrie and Team Jeff and Team Dane, and you're signing up for teams, and you're arguing and fighting with the other teams. So Corinth is riddled with these factions. Corinth is also riddled with debauchery sexual immorality, to the point where they're bragging about it. I mean, they, they think this is a good thing uh, for their church, that, hey, look, we have no kind of sexual morals. We just kind of do whatever we want to do. And it's that church, not a perfect church, not even a good church. It's the church in Corinth that Paul has the guts to say, your community with all of the problems you have, is where God's temple is. It's where the Spirit chooses to dwell. He uses these biblical terms. We can run through them real quickly. He says, um, this is the temple of God. The temple, again, is where God dwelt. The Spirit of God, he says, dwells in the community. The Spirit's role as a member of the Trinity, as a person of the Trinity, is to bring the Father's presence and power close and up personal with the people of God. Again, what Paul's saying is if you really want to experience God, the way to do it is in the community of believers, in a community much like Harvest United Methodist Church. We could again reread verse 16, but instead of saying y'all, we could put in the title of our church. Don't you y'all know that Harvest United Methodist Church is the temple of God. Don't you know that? And that God's Spirit dwells in and among and through Harvest United Methodist Church. This is a huge claim with lots of implications. I can tell you from personal experience, the way that I know that God loves me, and I have... Spent years reading and talking and telling others that God has loved me and having other people tell me that God has loved me. But, but you want to know how I really know that God loves me? It's not because of an idea that I have. It's because there's a group of people in my life 
who laugh with me and pray with me and read the Bible with me. And they've seen me at my worst, and they still loved me because of what God had done in their hearts. And so I don't have to wonder if God can love me, because these people can, representatives of God. And you want to know how I know that God provides for me and and looks out for me? It's because, again, not that I've prayed some prayer, this ethereal kind of experience where God sent a check in the mailbox. It's because I have a community of people where I've come before and said, hey, I'm out of money. Or, hey, I I can't handle the situation. And that community, transformed by God individually, that comes together and provides for me. It's in those moments that I know most clearly that God loves me. And that God takes care of me. God seems to have chosen a community of believers as a unique way to work and act in the world. We also find here the importance of the church. The church's identity, this dramatic statement that that's where God dwells in these communities, in these relationships. That's where he transforms people. That's where his power is to be found. That's where his presence is to be felt. But also the role of the church Paul seems to be saying, if you want to grow in your faith in powerful and miraculous ways, the way to do that is to plug in to a community. To piggyback off of Jeff's sermon two weeks ago during the CrossFit series, he had a beautiful sermon called Trusted Spotters, the role of community. And he said that the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. It was meant to be lived with and among other people. I can tell you from experience, I've seen people try to live the Christian life alone, and it rarely works. And when it works, it works poorly. And I've also seen people try to live the Christian life plugged into a community, and it flourishes. It's a plant that grows to be more beautiful than you could have ever imagined. Communities have these special, unique abilities to grow and flourish our faith. Communities have a unique ability to encourage us. If you're like me, there are times when you get down and you don't want to keep going. There are times when you have serious doubts. There are times when you come into problems that you can't handle. And it's hard to pat yourself on the back during those times. But if you've got a community around you, they can come and give you a hug and a pat on the back and say, keep going, it'll be all right, we've got your back. And in the community, they have a unique ability to be able to challenge you and stretch you and speak truth into your life that maybe you wouldn't want to hear, but you do need to hear. Here's a very deep spiritual principle. No one in the entire world is as good at lying to you then you are. <laughs> you are the world's expert in rationalizing your bad decisions. And I speak from experience. I have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And sometimes I need people to come into my life who I've invited to speak truth into my life to say, Mike, you're a jerk. You can't do that. You can't say that. That was an X-rated joke you made at church. There were children there. You can't, you just cannot say stuff like that. In my mind, I'm just being funny. But I need people to speak that kind of truth into my life, to challenge me. 
Communities are also able to help us reach our goals, help us flourish as Christians. You know, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. I've got a few strengths, I've got even more weaknesses. But in a community that I'm involved with, all of our strengths come together and make us better than we would be by ourselves. And help us work on our weaknesses. Communities are are such an important role um, for the flourishing of our faith. I can tell you the way I learned how to read the Bible was from sitting down with an older man every morning my senior year of high school and reading the Bible with him. People often ask me, you know, how how did you get so well versed in the Bible? How do you know what questions to ask about the Bible? The honest answer is because I watched him do it for a year. I didn't do it on my own. I can guarantee you if I had come up with a plan where I was going to sit down and just open up the Bible from Genesis and start reading it, that I would have never gotten into the Bible. I would have tapped out in Leviticus. Okay, we've all been there. And I wouldn't understand any of it, right? But but sitting down with this man and, and watching him read it and seeing what questions he asked about it, all of a sudden now I'm equipped to read the Bible myself. I know what questions to ask. I know what things to look for. Or deal with sin. Some of us have, uh, all of us have problems with sin. Some more serious than others. And, and what I've found by experience personally and watching others uh, struggle with sin is that sin thrives in the darkness. It thrives by itself, alone. I've, I've never really seen someone overcome sin, a, a serious string by them, by themselves. But when you bring it into the light, when you have a community surround yourself, the power of that sin shrinks in a moment. And the accountability you're able to receive helps your faith flourish once again. I recently ran a Tough Mudder. I don't know if you're familiar with the event. It's a uh, 10 or 12 mile obstacle course with 20 or so military grade obstacles. Um, I was real excited about it. We had a team from our church going to do it. Although it was kind of a hit on my self-conscience, okay? Um, I was telling people, I'm going to go run a Tough mutter, And the response I got was, are you sure? Are you sure that's your thing? Why don't you just come over, we'll eat pizza, have ice cream, have a relaxing night. And by like the fifth time someone had told me that, I was really doubting myself. Um, I was like, look, I'm a man. Not much of one, but I'm a man, okay? Um, I can grow facial hair. I once had a snake. That's about it. But I'm going to run this race. I'm going to do this Tough mutter. And, and what I found at the Tough mutter is that there was no way that I or many of my friends were going to finish without each other. It, it took this team, this team working together with this one goal to be able to finish it. There's some unique obstacles in a Tough mutter. There's something called an ice enema, uh, which is what it sounds like. It's a big pool of ice that you have to jump in and swim to the bottom to get out on the other side. At the very end, they have electrical wires hanging down that you have to run through. Um, I did get shocked and fall to the ground and black out. But I got a cool Harry Potter scar for a few weeks. It's totally worth it. And what I found was that it was great to do it with the team. Knowing myself, I would have quit after like the first mile. This is why it's great to run with other people if you're a male, because the competitive spirit keeps you going, right? You're like, I want to stop, but I'm going to run until he stops, 
right? Um, it's also great when you're not the weakest link and there's someone a little slower than you. Uh, and you're like, oh, no, I'm just going to sit down and be with them. No, I'm fine, but I'll, I'll hang back with them. We had this one gentleman, he was an ex-Marine. He worked in the front lines in Iraq uh, in some of the most dangerous places. And this man is an all-star. Uh, he can do anything. He's like six foot five, the strongest man alive. And he is always at a hundred percent, pumping you up, encouraging you. And there were a lot of obstacles that some of us couldn't complete. I'm a short man. I couldn't get up the half pipe. Um, this, this guy, Chris, he just kind of skips up there, right? Um, and then I'm able to like run halfway up and he just grabs my arm with one hand and pulls me up. Right, There were obstacles we couldn't complete without the help of each other, but together as a team, we were able to complete this obstacle. Growing in our faith is an obstacle, especially in the world we live in. We don't live in a neutral world. We live in a world that tries to pull us away from our beliefs, that tries to pull us away from obeying and following Christ. But a community where God's working powerfully can help us achieve those goals, can help our faith flourish. So I end this morning by asking a couple of questions. The first is this. Maybe this morning or today at some point, you can be honest with yourself and ask yourself this question. Do I have a community? Am I plugged in at Harvest United Methodist Church? Am I plugged in at maybe a smaller group at the Harvest and to a ministry at the Harvest And if the answer is no, you might ask yourself, why? Maybe you've been burned by the church. That's a legitimate reason. But one that that perhaps needs to be worked through. Maybe you're just not aware of the different opportunities to join and plug in. I know Carrie and Jeff and all of your leaders would be happy to, to help you along in that process to find the right group of people for you to plug in with. And then if you are plugged in, you might ask yourself, how can I become more involved? How can I strengthen that team more? How can I encourage my teammates more? How can I contribute a larger role to the work God's doing in and among us? You might not have always read the Bible like a Texan, but I hope you'll start as soon as possible. And you might not have always understood the identity and importance of community, but I pray this morning that you would Take the advice of Paul and and try it. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time of worship this morning. I thank you for my friends old and new here at the Harvest. I pray that you would open up our eyes to how good you are, that we would be able to give you blessings and praise this morning, Father, for your great love, for the creation you have given us to enjoy and take care of. I I pray that we would always be thankful for the son that you sent us out of your love, for his life and death and ministry, um, for his resurrection and ascension to your right hand where he rules and intercedes on our behalf. We give thanks for the spirit that you've poured out into our lives. Father, our prayer is that we would be more receptive to your spirit, that we would slowly and surely be more sensitive to his leading and his guiding. This morning, Father, we pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I invite all of God's people this morning to join me in saying amen.